All right. Let's get started. Last session. Thanks for hanging there, hanging in there with me. It's always a privilege to be in front of people sharing God's word. And so I'm grateful for this opportunity. Pray with me. Father, we just invite you. We want your kingdom to come and your will to be done. Lord, we are thankful for knowing that you love us, that you pursue us, that you're always with us. You guide us, you comfort us. You don't ask us to have it all together. You want to be the shepherd. We're sheep. We don't have to be smart. We follow. Help us to be faithful in our obedience. And Lord, let us trust you with the results. So Lord, let us slosh you onto the world around us because of the power of your spirit within us. We thank you, Lord. Amen. So wind, wind, woe. Wind of the spirit, wind at home. Woe, hell is real. And uh, to recap, we need the wind of the Holy Spirit filling us so we can win at home and life through spirit-filled living, never forgetting the big woe that hell is real and we need to share the good news of Jesus with the lost. Thanks for being there this morning so we could talk about the woe um, and learning the bad news, good news. There's bad news and there's good news. The bad news is about you. The good news is about God. The first point of bad news is you're a sinner. Scripture, Romans 3.23, for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. Illustration, rock. Second point of bad news is the penalty for sin is death. Say it with me. The penalty for sin is death. Great. Uh, scripture, Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death. Illustration, wages. That's the bad news. There's nothing you do about the bad news, but God did something about the bad news, and that's the good news. And the first point of good news is you can be saved through faith. Ah, yes, I was wrong. Christ died for you. Way to go, Haley. Woo, give her another crawler and ice cream. Christ died for you. One more time. Christ died for you. Scripture, Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his love toward us while we are still sinners. Christ died for us. Illustration, cancer. And the second point of good news is you can be saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Scripture, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of yourself. It's a gift from God, not by work so that no one can boast. What's faith mean? Trust. What does grace mean? Undeserved favor. And what does saved mean? Delivered from the, it's always the hardest one, delivered from the penalty of sin. When you've been saved, you've been delivered from the penalty of sin. And what's the illustration? Chair. And the question, is there anything keeping you from trusting Christ? Good job. Good recap. Now let's talk about the middle word, win. Let's win at home. I want to give you this slide, some tips, a few coaching tips on the win-win. By the way, I have four kids, 23, 25, 27, and 28, going on 29 this month. Uh, three girls and then a boy. I held out for the boy uh, and uh, a turbo tax. And uh, anyway, but some of the tips, some of the things I've learned is that our kids would rather see a sermon than hear one, hear one any day. People, all people would rather see a sermon in action than to hear one. I don't forget selfless acts of kindness with no strings attached. I still remember on spring break coming back as my sophomore year, coming back from Florida, and we had two cars and one of the, and the truck that had the camper on the back, and a lot of us had our junk in there, and we were coming back from Florida. It broke down on the highway just four hours short of our university in Springfield, Missouri. We're on the side of the road, and all of our friends were going by, stopping, hanging out, talking with us, and then continuing. We had a couple girls in our group, and we're like, and I'm like, hey, do you have room for these girls to drive back with you so they're not on the side of the road? 
with us guys. And, and they're like, oh, no, we don't have room. And I'm looking, I'm thinking, you could squeeze a girl in there pretty easily. And they didn't. And I just remember thinking, oh, y'all think you're so spiritual and you can't help us in a practical way. And then a gentleman that was driving on the other side of the highway found out he turns around, he comes back and he says, hey, can I rope tow you to the, there's two exits down or something. There's a gas station with a mechanic and I can rope tow you down there. He was on his way to a business trip. He was on schedule, but he turned around seeing us on the other side of the road and he just wanted to help us. I've never forgotten it. Blows my mind. There was, he didn't want any money. He didn't want anything. It was a selfless act of kindness with no strings attached. And when you do things and you serve people and you live a sermon out and you're not trying to get anything back, people take notice. It's that 40% variance. It's what stuns people. It's the Charlie horse between the ears to where their minds go, oh my goodness, what, why, why are you doing this? Kids would rather see a sermon Family would rather see a sermon than hear one any day. Talk is cheap. Second thing, and this is I found to be true. I've always found this to be true in all my 34 years of directing camps, that with virtues, lessons are better caught than taught. It's just the way it is. If I want people to do something that's admirable, you know, some sort of fruit of the Spirit lived out, lessons are caught better than taught. I can talk all day long about serving, but if I'm not serving, then they're not going to serve as much. Prof. Hendricks at Dallas Seminary, back when he was alive, he used to say, if you want people to bleed, you better hemorrhage. So therefore, what am I going to do? I'm going to be enthusiastic. I'm going to be jumping around if I want my staff enthusiastic. I need to be serving at times. I need to get in there. I can't do it all the time, but I need to be in there and serve here and there. Why? So they see me serve, and they're like, oh, I'm going to serve. Because with virtues, lessons are better caught than taught. On the flip side, with, with vices, what you do in moderation don't be surprised when they do it in excess. With negative traits, if you're a little sarcastic, don't be surprised if your kids are really sarcastic. If your staff, you're a little sarcastic with your staff, don't be surprised if they're very sarcastic. Don't be surprised if you have a little bit of fear as a mom or dad and you're fearful and then your kids have a lot of fear. Yeah, with vices, what you do in moderation, they're gonna do in excess. So be aware of that as you parent if you want the win-win. I like this verse from 1 Thessalonians 2, 11 and 12. It says, For you know that we dealt with you, each of you as a father deals with his own children. And I love these words, encouraging, comforting, urging. You're encouraging, you're comforting, but you're also urging, you're spurring, you're challenging. This is what we do as dads, as a good dad would do with their kids. And this is what we do in mentorship so that you live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom of glory. We want to do this with our summer staff. We want to be encouraging, comforting, urging. I want to do this at home. I never wanted my kids to ever see and say, my, my dad's different. When he's home, he's different than when he's on stage. Never wanted that. If anything, I want it to be, oh no, dad's more happy at home. Dad's a better encourager at home. He loves on us more than he loves on anybody. That was my heart's desire. It still is. It still is. I want to be, I want to live lives worthy of the Lord, and represent Jesus well. A number of years back, there was a study that was done. It was called Hardwired to Connect. And it was a study that was done by the nation from, uh, it was a commission on children at risk. And it's called Hardwired to Connect, a new, uh, the new scientific case for authoritative communities. And this study had some data that I thought was really, really helpful. And it said this, it was just validating what we already know from scripture, that we're hardwired to connect to other people. 
Now, of course, we believe in a triune God, always existed from eternity past, eternity present. They've always been one together. So the three have been one. They're always in relationship. We're made in the image of God. We are made for relationships. That's why people are messy. I taught my kids, people are messy. But you won't survive living alone. You got to have people, but they're messy. But we're made in the image of God. Therefore, it's fun when the world catches up. Their studies catch up with what we already know from Scripture. But we are, it was nice to have the scientific study to say, yeah, we're hardwired to connect to other people. That's why one of the things we talk about here is life change. Life change happens in the context of loving relationships. So if I want to influence others, I've got to be in relationship with you. That's why I kind of meddle in your business when you're here. I go to your table and I talk to you. You know, I went over to Sherry and Mike's table and I hadn't really met some of their family. And I went over there and I met them and, I, and they're quieter. You know, they're not jumping on chairs. But I went over there. Why? Because I want to have relationship with people. Therefore, if I get to a place where I need prayer, or I need encouragement, or you might say something, speak into my life, where you say something, oh man, I needed that. That was from the Lord. Or you might be like the, dad, the husbands last week that said, I trust you. One, they said, one of them said, I feel like I can really trust you. You, feel so, you seem safe to me. Because I didn't know him. One of the dads, I didn't know. I had just connected over the week. And he opens up to me about the potential divorce talk that his wife said and how he's just desperate. We're hardwired to connect to people. Your kids want to connect with you. Even if they act, if they're in the teen years and they're trying to pull back, they want relationship but you got to learn how to connect with them the way they need it. Study it said this, we're hardwired to connect to moral meaning and the possibility of the transcendent. The scientific study, which we already know this from the Bible, but we're hardwired to connect to moral meaning. The, heart, the laws of the Lord are written on our hearts bearing witness to our conscience, Romans 2.15. But it's telling us that we want to connect with something that has moral meaning. And to the possibility of, of the transcendent, there's got to be more than this physical life. People are hungering. There's more. And so this is encouraging to me. And I go, okay. And then the study goes on to say this. It says, if you want to impart your values or truth to an individual, there's two things you got to do. These are foundational. That you have to, one, develop loving, intimate connections or relationships with the child. If you want to influence any sort of kids, you got to have a relationship. I've done a lot of speaking with the Salvation Army. They're not just thrift. They're not just, you know, uh, addiction, you know, rehab places. for. But they actually are a denomination. They do church services every Monday, every Sunday, and they do Wednesday night stuff. They're a denomination. And for years, I've been speaking for the last three decades, I've been speaking for the Salvation Army for various events that they do around the country. And one time I was speaking, early years, I was going to speak in the Chicago division. It's its own. It's not just a couple states. It's just Chicago. And I go there, and I'm warned that there's going to be some gang members that are coming because they've been behaving, and they've been showing up at the Salvation Army, and they're coming. And there's more ethnicity there than I've ever seen anywhere in my life. It was amazing how many different... There was, there was people that had, they had interpreters from some Southeast Asia countries, and they were interpreting for them. I mean, there, was, there were people from all over the world that live in Chicago, in the inner city. They're there, and they were at this, this, this event with, you know, 300-and-something young adults. I was a speaker. First time to speak in the Chicago group. I was a little outside my element. But because I know from God's word that life change happens in the context of loving relationships, and I am this white guy who's going to come into this group of all this ethnicity, and I'm going to be telling them about Jesus, why should they listen to me? I wouldn't. 
They don't, what am I going to know about their gang-infested neighborhood and the abuse that their dad sends or their mom sends them out to deliver drugs for their boy, her boyfriend? And they're, they're, they're raped and molested. I mean, there's stuff that I just, it, break, it broke my heart that they deal with every day. Why should they listen to me? They shouldn't. But I knew God had invited me to come and share. First thing I did is I said, okay, Lord, I don't know how, if I should be taking this risk, but there's a bunch of people of a different ethnicity and there's like 20, 25 of them. They're all hanging out together before the event starts. They had gotten there early in the buses and I walk right in the middle of them and I go, hey, y'all, what's up? And they start trash talking me. Oh, they start dogging me. They're just poking fun. They're just, and it's just, I mean, they're good. They were good at it. They were taking shots at me as the white cracker. And it was, and I, and, and I was like, and I'm just, I just don't know, you know, are, am I safe physically? Am I safe emotionally? I don't know. But I knew that God had me there and I knew I have to have a relationship. And I started memorizing names. Like, what's your name? DJ, all right, DJ, what's your name? Tyrell, okay, Tyrell, what's your name? And I start getting names. And I start going, Lord, help me memorize them. Let me help. There was a guy named Romaldo. Romaldo. And I didn't know what to do with this other than I'm learning names. And so then the thing starts and then they're going to Friday night, we're going to the big thing to get started. And I'm just yelling names. What's up, Tyrell? What's up, Romaldo, Romaldo? Romaldo looks at me. And I just kept yelling names. I didn't know what to do. I just knew the Holy Spirit was in me and I wanted to reach these kids and I didn't know how to reach them because they've been these young adults. And I just start yelling their names. Well, I yelled Romildo probably about five times between that night and the next day's 10 o'clock. I'd see him, Romildo. He had a black shirt on with a skull with a dagger through it and a rose in front of it. And every time I'd yell at him, I'd go, Romildo. And at first he was like angry, like, shut up. And the next time he's like, and then as the fifth time, he's like, and I kept yelling his name and then after lunch I'd spoken twice after lunch all of a sudden someone tasked me on I'm talking to some teens and stuff and talking about we're going to do some hooping and this and that and he tasked me on the shoulder and I turn around and it was Romildo and I look at him and I go hey what's up Romildo he goes can we talk I go yeah so we go over to a bench by ourselves he sits there he goes kind of into this deep heavy thought, and he goes, my dad was gunned down. A van opened the door, and guys shot him 17 times. I don't want to be like my dad. I'm not going to be like my dad. And he just starts talking, and he opens up his heart. I pray with him. I intentionally touch him on the back, and I'm kind of rubbing his back because I think there's something in touch if it's safe for them where they're at, and I kind of wade in gently, and I'm just praying for Romildo. I give him a hug, I always, on the last day, sometimes they would have their officers in the Salvation Army, they have their core, you know, colonel or whatever, they would speak on the last day. But I always made, I, was vis I made sure I was visible standing up on the side so that when they had their altar call, they do on Sunday mornings, they have an altar call, I wanted to make sure I was visible in case anyone felt safe with me. And I had numerous young people want me to come up and pray with them. they tell their leader, and the leader go, would you come pray? And I mean, there were guys that would be bawling at the altar, I mean, superstar basketball guys, tall, athletic, and they're just crying because they're broken inside. And anyway, I just remember Romildo. And all I did was yell his name five times. I took the risk of going into their world, trying to connect, trying to connect, make a connection, some sort of intimate connection with him. And he reached out and he received 
And I was able to love on him and he invited me into his life. And I was able to encourage him. And the second thing is, not only do we need intimate connections, we also need to model the very truths and values that we want to see others to embrace. We've got to model the truth or the value that we want to see ingrained in the child. We've got to model it. So I was saying earlier, virtues are better caught than taught. Because if you can do this, what happens, it says in the study, is that a human child is talked into talking. We talk to our little babies. We talk to them, talk to them, and then all of a sudden they go, Mama, more, Dada. I mean, they, they're talked into talking, the study says. They're loved into loving. And then I love this. I love it because this is so true. I'm just bringing this up because sometimes people like secular, you know, the, the science. Yeah, yeah, all truth is God's truth. They're related into believing. I love that phrasing. They're related into believing, that connection, that relationship, the time together, loving on them. They're related into believing. So therefore, that's why we got to get out of our shells a little bit. We got to think about them. We got to have some empathy and feel what they feel, think what they think, to understand how might we love them where they're at. It's changed how I view things. I'm not changed my standard. My standard is still God's word. But I'm seeing more of Jesus lived out in a way with more grace than I used to have because I'm a rule follower. But there's some things that I used to say, no, I won't do. And now I go, yeah. I don't make you guys do for baptism to fill out a long questionnaire, to do a, you know, a two-week meeting. No, you got an eight-year-old kid who says, I want to be baptized. And I'm like, throw fuel on their desire to obey Jesus. Yeah, if they're 15 and they want to do it again because it means more, great. No harm, no foul. But the last thing I want to do is slow down and put brakes on a child who says, I want to obey God because I feel like I should be baptized and I believe in Jesus. He's my savior. That's just me. I'm just talking out loud because with me, I'm just pretty transparent. But I want to relate them into believing. And then Josh McDowell, he had some research that he did. And, he, and this is a pyramid that, he, that I took from him that he used when he spoke here. And he said, the making of an individual, you have this pyramid. And a lot of times we start with the behavior. We look at our child and we go, oh, my child, they've been sneaking out. They're meeting up with their friends. They're supposed to put their phone away at night. They're still on their phone. They're texting with their friends. And their behavior is that. And we look at the behavior. And he goes, don't start with the behavior. Because the behavior is influenced by what? What they value. They value the friendships. Friendships are super important to them. Their peers are super important to them. It's so important, these value of their friendships and how that's life-giving and they have to have friends, therefore, it's gonna affect their behavior. They're gonna do things, they're gonna act out on things. Why? Because they value their friends more than they may value you at that time. But you can't stop at the values. What's below the values is their beliefs. So you gotta understand their beliefs. If they believe that they don't have that friend group, then they're a loser they can't even live with themselves because they are awful. If they don't have certain friends, they're just awful. Therefore, because they have that belief about themselves, they're going to value their friendships above what you say, and they're going to behave in a way that ensures they have the friends. But what determines the belief system for kids and for humans? Relationships. It goes back to the scientific study. It goes back to God's word. It goes back to Josh McDowell's research. Relationships are at the core of affecting what people believe about themselves and their worldview. 
And so therefore, we've got to have relationships with people. It just can't be this sterile, distant thing. That's why I kind of meddle in your life by getting into your space. Sometimes I hug you. I used to use a technique when I was younger. I go to hug some guys. Now I'm older, so people put up with it. But when I was younger, I go to hug some guys and dads that are older and whatever. And I go to hug them and, and they got uncomfortable. And I just say, you're a beautiful man. And by the time they go, ah, I'm already in. And that was my method. You're a beautiful man. And I hug. <laughs> I don't know why I did it. That's what I just did. But I get into your space. I want to connect with you. I want relationship. That's why I work hard at memorizing names. I don't do it every week. I can't do it every week. But I've got... I don't have your name. I don't have your name because you kind of, I haven't seen y'all. But I got Blaine. I got Lisa. I got Treva. Uh, I got Randy. I mean, I could go around the room. And because why? I'm studying pictures. I'm studying the roster of names. Why? Because if I don't have a relationship, then I'm not going to impact the rest of you and the being that you are. And I want a shot at influencing you with Jesus to slosh him so that you want him. And also, if I know if I'm doing that, guess what my staff are going to do? They're going to do the same. They're going to want to sit with you. They're going to want to connect with you. They're going to want to share their camp name versus, hey, how'd you get your name? I'm so tired of telling people, I got my name. You know, they don't do that. But in their own humanity, they would because we've shared our camp names a billion times. But they want to have relationships because they want to impact you and your kids because the Spirit of God is well, welling up within them and they are just wanting to slosh what the Spirit wants to do. Love on you, encourage you, spur you on to good deeds and godliness. So that's the key. So, some, and the last point I want to give you, and then we're wrapping up, is this. Listen more and show more empathy. Now, there's a lot of words I could pick and a lot of things I can give you. And this is my last one. I'm going to talk for the winning at home. But the reason I have this is, one, we need to listen more. As parents... We, we are quick to give advice. I am. I mean, I could, I could literally coach you to death. I have so much data I would download onto you. If you want to give me two hours, I could t talk your ear off. I have no problem giving you truth, giving you lessons learned. But ultimately, when I listen to you, and I'm learning, my wife's really good at this. She's helped me a lot. As I listen, it shows you value. It allows you to, to say what's on your heart. And I need to ask good questions and ask questions that allow you to, to draw out of you something that may, even in you saying it, might be, free, free, uh, be a freedom giver to you because you said it. But I need to listen more and I need to listen with empathy. Now, I didn't like the word empathy because it, it reminded me too much of the word pithy. And I just saw a peach in our fridge that I just finished up tonight uh, at home and it was pithy. It was soft and... And so I don't like the word empathy just because it reminds me of pithy. It seems soft. Give me a more courageous word. Give me something that's bold. But I'm realizing, and my daughter said this. She goes, Dad, people that don't have empathy, can they really be Christ-like? And the Holy Spirit just used that to just trigger me to go, hmm, hmm. They may be great leaders, they may take charge and they may get things done well. They may be organized. But if they don't have empathy, do they really love like Jesus? And I would say, I wouldn't think so. I don't think so. And so I saw this definition of empathy and I liked it. Empathy is seeing with the eyes of another. It's listening with the ears of another. And this is the tough one. It's feeling with the heart of another. 
So when someone shares with me their relational crisis, their employment crisis, their, you know, their, their health crisis, I say, Lord, let me love them. And I ask the Holy Spirit to help me and I, want, I try to shift into a gear outside and stop thinking about my to-dos, stop thinking about all the things I gotta do at this moment. And if I can't, then I say, hey, let's set it in an hour. Let's meet together on the bench out here. I wanna talk, but I've gotta go. So there's, you can put boundaries up and say, you, know, you gotta follow through, but then I come back and I make sure, and then I come back and I go, all right, tell me what's going on. And I make sure my body language is mirroring what they're talking and what they're saying. I let myself, I say, Lord, help me to feel what they feel. Is it exhausting? Yes. When I get done with a day, usually it's Thursdays when I do my talk and then I have the afternoon, I'm connecting with people on the last full day of a week of family camp. And I'm telling you, everyone, that's a chance everyone has to get with me and that's my chance to get with everyone. By the time I get to midnight that night and I get home, I am so exhausted. I might as well have run a triathlon and done an Ironman because I'm listening and the Holy Spirit's helping me listen empathetically so I really feel what they feel. Therefore, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to care and hurt with them. I'm at times gonna cry with them. I'm going to not give some sort of flippant advice and, and just kind of give some sort of you know, pr- you know, spiritual poster verse. Instead, I'm gonna just say, sometimes I've just, I go, that sucks. That is the worst thing I've ever heard. And they go, it does suck. And just hearing that, it, that someone, and again, that's not saying that God isn't faithful. That's not saying that I don't love life. And I'm not, no, but there's lamentations in scripture that you lament. You can actually complain in the sense of saying, Lord, this is so hard. I know you're good, but where, would you show up? And so because I've been through trauma in the last handful of years, that's one of the blessings is that I now can hurt with people in a way I never could before. But I've been at the lowest of the low and I was ready to, to just blow up our whole house. I've said that before. When you're in, you're in a traumatic place and you don't know what to do, you have some extreme thoughts. And one of mine was unhooking the gas in the stove and just blowing up the whole family on the holiday and we all go be with Jesus because my daughter was dying before my eyes and I couldn't find a doctor or a medical facility anywhere that could solve it. And it was very complex. And so I want to encourage you that if you care about other people and you want to impact them, you got to have loving connections. You got to model the truth you want embraced. And you do that through empathetic listening and caring. Plato, I never, I never did anything with Plato. I don't read any of those. Like, that's just way beyond me. I used to actually think it was Play-Doh, and, um, but it's Plato. Anyway, he made this quote and I found it and I liked it. And so now this is my one Plato quote. He said this, the highest form of knowledge is empathy for it requires us to suspend our egos and, and live in another's world. I just like it and it's good. So wind, win, woe. Wind of the Holy Spirit, win at home, woe, hell is real. We need the wind of the Holy Spirit filling us, continually filling us so that we can win at home in life through spirit-filled living, never forgetting the big woe that hell is real and we need to share the good news of Jesus with the lost. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for showing up. Thank you for your goodness, your greatness. Thank you for comforting us, counseling us, convicting us, empowering us, strengthening us, giving us wisdom, Lord. You take the knowledge of this earth and you help us with wisdom, apply it in a way that only you can do. 
So Lord, we thank you for this time. I thank you for these friends. I thank you for them being here this week. I thank you for giving us the stamina and the idea to do a tenth, half of tenth week. And we thank you, Lord, for the staff who stuck around that we could do this. Lord, your will be done in our lives. We give it all to you. We just want it to be glorifying to you and we want lives to be transformed. And then we want people to cry out to your, your name, Jesus, and want you as their savior. In Jesus' name, we ask these things. Amen.